I invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 18. Let's read God's good word together. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Miroslav Volf, I think, is one of the greatest living Christian thinkers. You can see his photo there. I mean, you can tell just the gravitas in his face. I mean, he's got a a face that makes you say gravitas instead of gravity. You know, that's how you can tell. Most the great theologians have really big eyebrows, too. He apparently trims his, but, uh, but he's a professor of systematic theology at Yale. And what his work centers around is the possibility of forgiveness and reconciliation. And, and at the core of what he teaches is that we ought to embrace our enemies in the same way that God embraces us. And for him, this isn't just something, it's not just something that he writes about. It's not just something that he read about. He was born in Croatia, which at that time was the former Yugoslavia. And he experienced all kinds of things, experienced atrocities being committed in his country and had to learn how to deal with that. And he's honest, and particularly for him, it was uh, uh, Serbs were the group that, uh, that committed many of those atrocities. And he's honest about the fact that it's not easy for him to forgive them and to embrace them, but it's what he feels called to do. And, and the way that he's able to do that comes in large part because that's the example that was set by him. And he lived in tragic circumstances growing up. When he was growing up, he had an older brother. When he was um, one, his older brother was five, and, and his brother would go out into the yard, and, and there were soldiers who, who were stationed in the town where they lived, and he would go and play with the soldiers, and and they loved being around him, and and they would just kind of take him around and and enjoy that. And one day, they took him into a horse-drawn carriage, and while they were going, the the soldier who was caring for him wasn't being careful, and he leaned out as they were passing a gatepost and was killed by his carelessness. And, And so his parents had lost a son and had to figure out how to go forward And they decided not to press charges against the soldier. They decided not to seek financial compensation because of it. They chose to forgive him. They chose to forgive him for the loss of their child. That sounds impossible, doesn't it? I mean, just to imagine the possibility of that. But that's what's possible whenever we learn from Jesus how to forgive And so whenever you think about the really hard situations in your life, and maybe they're not even the really hard situations, maybe it was just the guy who was a jerk at an HOA meeting or a school board meeting, if they can forgive that, then can't we learn to forgive in the same way? What would would be possible if we learned to forgive in that way? And particularly in an election year, when forgiveness is maybe not in the top 20, 50, 100 of things that people are, are exuding right now, What would our nation, our world be like if we could learn to be forgiving? That's what's possible. That's what Jesus teaches us. That's what he shows us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're in uh, week six of our sermon series, We Believe. on. And uh, we've been talking about what Christians believe and why. We've been going through the Apostles' Creed and talking about it line by line, um, about all the things that we say and what they really mean. It's, it's not just something that we say because we're supposed to, and this is all the, all the boxes you have to check off. It's, it's a part of being a part of the community of faith that's been handed down for generations. And I love the way that Professor um, Justo Gonzalez puts it. He says, when I recite the Apostles' Creed, I'm declaring myself part of that countless multitude 
throughout the centuries who have found their identity in the same gospel and the same community of believers of which I am now a part. We are all part of that same community. A multitude that includes martyrs, saints, missionaries, and great theologians like Miroslav Volf. But where in the final analysis all are nothing but redeemed sinners, just as I am. And so whenever we say the creed, we are united with all of those people who have gone before us, some of whom are great, some of whom we will never hear about who are lost to history, and yet who in the end are redeemed sinners just as we are. And so that's what we're doing whenever we say the creed. Last week we talked about the line, I believe in the Catholic Church and the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. And what Pastor Mark taught us is the church is not a building. Did you know that? It's not a building. In fact, whenever, if you look at anything that I'm written, I'm really careful to talk about our church campus and not our church building, and not our church as the building, because they're two separate things. The church is us. And so this is what he said. The church is a called-out people, not a building. It's the people whom God has called out to be the people of God in the world. And whenever we talk about the Holy Catholic Church, it's God's church made up of people from everywhere. It's little c Catholic. We're not, uh, we're not saying we're part of the Roman Catholic Church, although that's part of what's included in the little c Catholic Church. It's God's universal church of all people. And so that's what we're a part of, not just our denomination, not just people that we like, but all the people who follow Christ throughout the ages. And when we talk about the communion of saints, saints are just ordinary people who yield their lives to God. And whenever the New Testament talks about saints, it's, it's not talking about the really holy peoples we think about saints today. It's talking about all of us, anyone who's been made holy through their relationship with Christ. And so that's where we've been. This week, what we're talking about is the forgiveness of sins. I believe the forgiveness of sins. And uh, that's something that is it's really maybe the most practical line in the entire creed. It's something that, uh, that seems a little bit easier than talking about, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, right? That's some like heady theological stuff. This is just forgiveness, right? That's easy, isn't it? It's not that easy right? It's hard to forgive someone who has caused us harm. That's difficult. It takes a lot. And, and sometimes it's difficult even whenever the harm is not that great, right? I mean, when somebody cuts me off in traffic after I get over the initial rush of adrenaline, am I any worse off? No. And yet, do I just readily forgive that person and say, peace be with you, go on your way? Rarely. That's, that's, that's not my typical response. And, and it's difficult to forgive, and the hard thing is, it's not just others that hurt us. Each of us inevitably causes harm to the people we care about, right? I mean, if, if you've uh, had a relationship with your parents, you know that they've said things that were hurtful, and, uh, and we've said things back that are hurtful as well. If you've had children, you know that you really do your best most of the time. Occasionally, you know, you have those other moments sometimes too, but, but we do our best, and we do things that, that aren't in their best interest sometimes. We do things that are hurtful to them, and uh, they also, like, know how to say the things that are hurtful to us too sometimes. That's part of being in relationship, is that we hurt other people. And this is why this is important. If we can't give and receive forgiveness, we'll be consumed by shame, by bitterness, by resentment, and loneliness, and loneliness. If you really want to have an actual relationship with someone else, you have to be able to forgive. You have to be able to give it, and you have to be able to receive it, or else you're just going through the motions. And so that's, that's what we're talking about this weekend, and where we start is that each of us needs forgiveness. 
And it's, uh, it's thought that maybe this line, that, so the Apostles' Creed wasn't, didn't come out of the, uh, a, a church council or something like that. It kind of developed over time. And it's thought that this line was added in the 4th century. And, and what's going on in, at, that, at that time in church history, at least in the West, is the church was wrestling with the forgiveness of sins in the aftermath of Roman persecution. So in, in the early 4th century, the Emperor Constantine, you may have heard of him, we're not talking about the Keanu Reeves character. Um, Constantine was the Emperor of Rome, and, uh, and he grew up part of the Roman religion and eventually converted to Christianity, um, began following Jesus. And, and at that point, instead of a persecuted faith, it became um, first an accepted religion and then the official religion of, of, of Rome, of the empire. And, and so all of these people who had suffered now had all these other people, maybe even people who were causing their suffering, who were coming into the church. And, and they were standing together in worship, and, and they had to figure out. And, and some of them had made great sacrifices. There was a time whenever it wasn't legal to, to have books of Scripture, and, and if you were found having that, you, you might have been tortured or jailed or, or even had people killed. And, and so you might have had people, you might have lost someone, and, and someone had come in who had either committed that or maybe they just gave up the scriptures and, and you know, got away with it. And you had to figure out, how are we going to live together now? And so this was really a practical thing for them at that time. It wasn't just something, you know, an abstract theological concept. It was figuring out, how do we live together and so when we talk about sin, whenever we look at what that means, you know, it's a term that for most of us carries some baggage. If you look at really just kind of the dictionary definition in the New Testament, what it means is missing the mark. It can be translated as missing the mark. It's an archery term. And so if you think of someone, you know, they, uh, they pull back and let loose and, and it just doesn't quite hit the target. They're just a little bit off. They're trying to hit it, but they miss. You know, sometimes whenever we're honest, we, uh, we get caught up and we're not even really trying to hit the target right. I mean, the person in the next stall kind of mouths off and you're like, hey, dude, I've got a bow right now. And so, and, and then afterward you realize though, like that, that's not the target that I'm trying to hit. I'm trying to hit this target, but we miss the mark. We fall short. Every one of us misses the mark in our relationships with God and other people. And uh, the scriptures put it this way. You may have heard this growing up if, you're, uh, if you grew up in a tradition familiar with the Romans road. But uh, this is how Paul put it, Sid. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, just kind of sums it up that, that each of us is in need of God's grace. And, and it's easy sometimes, you know, it's nice to think that we're the good people and the bad people are out there somewhere. You know, the, the bad people are the people in other countries or, or the bad people are people who vote a different way than we do. Or, you know, pick your issue, whatever it is, whatever that dividing line is. Those are the bad people over there and we're the good people. But that's not how it works. I mean, we have to recognize that, that each of us has the capacity for sin to cause pain to others and for evil. And so I love the way that, uh, that the Russian writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn puts it. He says, If only there were people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. I mean, that's how we think of it sometimes, right? If we could just get them all together and get rid of them, everything would be better. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. It's not just a line that divides us from there. It's a line that divides, I mean, that is part of our very selves. And it's something that each of us has to work to have God to heal us of that and to help us to live differently. We all stand in need of God's healing and forgiveness. Each of us needs that. There's no one who's exempt. And yet, fortunately, what we find as we go to the scriptures over and over again is that we follow and worship a God of forgiveness, um, a God who loves to forgive us. The Bible reveals God's fundamental character as merciful and forgiving. 
And so one of the most beautiful ways that, that we read about this is in the parable of the prodigal son. You know the story, right? Uh, there's a son and decides, you know, he, he's tired of living under his dad's roof. And so he asks basically for his inheritance early and he goes out and he squanders it. I mean, he just wastes everything his dad has worked for his entire life. And then uh, he realizes, you know, my, my dad's servants have it better than I do right now. So I'm going to go back and I'm just going to say, dad, I, you know, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and if you'll just let me live as one of your servants, that, that would be enough. That would be more than I deserve. And, and this is what, uh, what we read in the Gospel of Luke. So the son set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father cut him off. That's commentary, by the way. The father cut him off and said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate, right? I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, if you think about being in that situation, what would your first words be? right? I mean, something like, I can think of a couple good ones, like, look who's come crawling back comes to mind. Like, what do you want now? You already got your inheritance. That's all that's yours. I mean, really, we could think of a lot of different things. Is that what the father says? No. He, he hugs him. He kisses him. And uh, I've heard it said, some of the most beautiful words in scripture are, while he was still far off, the father let go of all of his dignity and ran to him. Because that's who God is. God doesn't want to condemn us. God doesn't want to put us in our place and look at how wretched we are. God wants to run to us and embrace us. God wants us to come back. That's who God is. God is fundamentally forgiving. And through the death and through the power of Jesus' death and resurrection, God's forgiveness is offered to all of us, no matter what. No matter what. It's offered to everyone. And this is what we see in, in Jesus' life. I mean, Jesus models this throughout his life, and, and we see it really in, in maybe the most powerful way as he's hanging from the cross. Um, this is what we read in the Gospel of Luke chapter 23. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. Hanging from a cross, what are you thinking about like, what I'm thinking about is not forgiving the people who put me there. Like, I'm thinking about how do I get down or how do I get them back? And what is Jesus thinking about? Forgiving the people who are literally killing him. That's who he is. Our Savior is, embodies forgiveness. And this is what we read in the next chapter after his resurrection. He said to his disciples before he ascended, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And, and so what, what is key, what, what has to happen next is that is that forgiveness has to be shared and proclaimed in his name. That, that's the mission that he gives to the church, to share forgiveness. It's fundamental to our faith. And the beautiful thing is that no matter how great any of our sin, God's forgiveness is greater. You know, sometimes we think, you know, I, I know regular sins are forgivable, but if they knew what I did, sometimes we think even abstractly, yeah, I know God can forgive any sins, but, but there's this one that I just can't let go of. I mean, I just, 
can't forgive myself for this. And we see this powerfully in a different, in a, in a different parable that Jesus tells. Um, and, and this is what he says. He says, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents. So 10,000 talents is like, I've heard it like translated into a lot of different amounts, somewhere in the millions of dollars today. Basically, like for a slave, it was more than he was ever going to be able to pay back. It was impossible for him to actually pay back the debt that he owed. That's, that's really what's key here. And so he, he, he owed him 10,000 talents and was brought to the king. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him and said, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. And that's Jesus saying is what God is like, forgiving us whatever, even something that is totally beyond our ability to make amends for. That's who God is. God will forgive everything, anything. There's no sin that God will not forgive. And so this, this is what we see throughout. When we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, we believe that God is fundamentally forgiving and that through Jesus Christ, each and every one of us can be forgiven no matter what. That we can be like the son who comes home and is embraced. That's what God offers to all of us. And yet we don't just talk about, you know, our own forgiveness, right? Because it's not like, okay, I'm forgiven. I'm going to do whatever I want now. Is that how it works? Well, sometimes we think that, but the answer is no. That's not how it works. That's not how Jesus says it works. Because that also includes forgiving one another. We believe in the forgiveness of sins, not just between us and God, but between us and other people. And so believing in the forgiveness of sins means we believe in the necessity of forgiving others. That is necessary. And so we heard this already, what, what uh, Peter's question to Jesus, and Peter comes and thinks he's being really generous. He says, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Like, that's a lot. That is more than double three. And so I think we can all agree that I'm being extraordinarily forgiving if I do it seven times. And then what does Jesus say? Not seven, but how many? Seventy. 77. And, and there are other translations that say seven times 70, 490. And really the, the amount isn't what counts. The, the point is, no, you keep forgiving, right? I know some of you are like, all right, my spouse is at like, is at like 73. And so they've got four more chances and then that's it. And then, well, I did what Jesus said. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we keep forgiving. We keep forgiving and we keep forgiving. And whenever he taught his disciples how to pray, he said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And notice it's not forgive us our trespasses and aspirationally we'll try to forgive others who trespass against us. Or, you know, whenever, if they're not too mean about it, then we will forgive them. It's forgive us as we forgive others. And if you've not thought about that line, I mean, what he's saying is that our forgiveness depends on the degree to which we forgive others. And so, I mean, that will get your attention. Jesus isn't just saying, like, it's a nice thing to do. If you really want to be a good person, then you probably ought to forgive others. He's saying, like, your forgiveness is tied up in this. 
Because whenever we don't, it's awful. I mean, whenever we don't forgive others, it's terrible. He says, this is what it's like. This is a continuation of the parable. And so the slave who's had the the 10,000 talents forgiven, um, this is what he does afterward. He goes out with his freedom, that same slave as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. Now, the the main thing about denarii is a lot less than a talent. And so he's been forgiven this massive debt that he never could have repaid. And for a piddling amount, this other slave owes him just this minuscule amount, 100 denarii. And seizing him by the throat, the, the first slave said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow, slave pel, pl, his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. That sounds familiar, right? Like, didn't he just say that? Okay. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. And that's the thing that Jesus is saying whenever we receive God's forgiveness and then withhold it with others. I mean, that's essentially what we're doing. And whenever we refuse to forgive, well, one of the other things is this, this slave was a representative of the king. And so whenever he withheld forgiveness, it reflected on the king who was just so generous with him. And whenever we withhold forgiveness ourselves, we're reflecting. I mean, people, if people know that you're a follower of Jesus, that reflects on him as well. Our behavior reflects on Jesus. People set their expectations of who God is based on the way that they see us behave. And so if we don't forgive, then people assume that, well, then that must not be a forgiving faith. All that stuff that they say must not really matter because I'm not seeing it. And so we, we, for several reasons, we need to forgive as well. And not only do we need to forgive, we also need to be forgiven by others. We need other people to forgive us. We need that release that we can have whenever they forgive us. And so it's easy, you know, talking about forgiveness, and it's something that we learn as children, you know, like if somebody does something wrong, what do they say? I'm sorry, and what do you have to say back? I forgive you, right? I mean, that's, that's what we learn, and that, that can't, I mean, that, it's nice to say those things, but if we don't mean them, I mean, you've gotten bad apologies before, right? Don't raise your hand or point. <laughs> but we've all gotten bad apologies, right? And we've also gotten forgiveness that wasn't really forgiveness. And that doesn't help the relationship. And, and so just a few nuts and bolts of forgiveness. How do we actually practice that? Because it's easy to talk about, and it's really hard to do, as we've seen several times already. And, and so basically, what is forgiveness? It's choosing not to hold the wrong that another person does against them. You're not going to hold that wrong against them any longer, and what's amazing about that is that's, that's really what God does for us. And we see this in, in Psalm 103. This is what it says, God will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. God is separating us. From our, from our sins, from our transgressions, and not holding them against us. And uh, I love the way, so Miroslav Volf, he wrote this great book called Exclusion and Embrace, and I can barely get through it, so I, I would recommend it, but it's like, I mean, it's pretty dense, so, so I actually wouldn't recommend it unless you like that kind of thing. But, uh, but, but he can also like get really cut to the point, and so this is what he says, talking about forgiveness. He says, unstick the deed from the doer. Unstick the deed from the doer. That is what forgiveness does. I love that. It's so like such a tactile image. I think of, so, you know, it's finally sweater weather, right? Or at least it's sweater weather in the morning and then it's sweat weather in the afternoon. It's like, you know, the the fake out time of year. But uh, at least it's, we're getting closer to that. You know, I think of when I think of sweaters, I think of all the fluff 
that sticks to them, right? I mean, you know, you just get, it's just stuff is attracted to it. And so, you know, if you've got someone in your life who cares about you or wants to make you look like you're kind of a slob, like they'll come up and, and they'll find the little fluff, the little fuzzballs, and, and they'll pick them off of you, right? And that, that's what I think about, unsticking. So it's like we've got stuck, stuff stuck to our sweaters and it's picking them off and saying, I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. And, and then I, I see you and I see what you've done and they're separate, and I'm going to let go of this so that whenever I look at you, I don't see that anymore. And that's what we do whenever we forgive. We're letting go of the wrong that was done. And it really, it's really important both for others and for forgiving ourselves because when we confuse who we are with what we've done, it leads to shame. It leads to shame. Whenever we think we're the worst thing that we've ever done, that just leads to shame. And you can't get better whenever you're stuck in shame. And so I had like a, a minute... A minute a, Let's see, not, not minuscule, but I had a small experience of this this, this last week. And uh, so, you know, I'm a pretty responsible guy. I mean, I made it through school. I got ordained. I, I've held down a job here for like four years, four plus years, actually. And, uh, and so I've got my stuff reasonably together. But last week, I realized I'd forgotten to pay my credit card the previous month. Like, I just forgot. I had the money, and uh, I just did not submit the bill. And uh, what did my credit card company do? They slapped a late fee on me. And I thought, you know, it wasn't just like a a fee that I got charged. It was like, you are in your early, late 30s, and you can't even pay a bill on time? I mean, I started literally feeling bad about myself. It's like, when are you going to figure this out? You should have your stuff together. Now, I mean, I, I was traveling and it got buried in my email. That is one good thing about paper statements. They get buried in piles at least, but uh, not, not just on screens. But, but I started feeling bad about myself. I started feeling like, you know, you are the kind of person who does this. And, and that's kind of what happens to us, usually on a more significant level than just our credit card bills. But we think, you know, you're the kind of person who does this. This is who you are. And it's not. Those things matter, but they're not who we are. Well, I had a picture of credit card statements to illustrate the point. But it's really helpful. I think it's really helpful. Now I'm like, you're the kind of person who doesn't advance the slide on time. Feeling <laughs> Not really, because I got a joke out of it. But this is what I think, it's, I think it's helpful, the way that Brene Brown puts it. She talks about the difference between shame and guilt. So guilt is I did something bad. I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. And when we confuse those things, then, then we get stuck. Guilt, we can actually learn from. It can motivate us to act differently in the future. It can motivate us to make amends. Shame just causes us to think that we're bad and, and not worthy of changing, not worthy of being in relationship. And we can't move forward whenever we're stuck in shame. One of the things, though, that's important is I think that is guilt it does recognize that I did something bad. I did something that was wrong. Forgiveness acknowledges that a wrong has occurred and that the pain that was caused matters. You know, sometimes whenever someone does something to us, our, our temptation is just to respond, it's okay, or, or it's fine. And sometimes it's not fine. I mean, if somebody like bumps into you whenever you're walking down a hallway because it's crowded, that probably is fine, right? But there are some things that actually hurt, and whenever we try to minimize it and it, we're in denial about it, it actually doesn't help the relationship. If someone hurts us and we just say it's fine because we don't want to cause a scene or cause an issue, it prevents us from actually forgiving. And, and so forgiveness is not just pretending like nothing ever happened. It's not saying that the pain that you experience doesn't matter. It acknowledges it, but it makes it possible to move forward. And so forgiveness is not erasing boundaries. 
that's really important. It's, it's not erasing boundaries. It doesn't mean that we're just going to, you know, you can do whatever you want and I'll just keep getting walked on. That's not what it is. It, it creates the possibility of reconciliation. Forgiveness it makes it possible for us to have a relationship together, but it doesn't guarantee it. And sometimes it, it's not in everyone's best interest for us to have a relationship going forward. And sometimes people will hold this against you. You know, like you'll, you'll learn from the experience and, and establish a new boundary and they'll be like, well, I thought you forgive me. Or, you know, you're supposed to forgive me. And you can forgive someone without having the same kind of relationship as you did in the first place. I mean, if you share a confidence with someone and they, and they talk about it with someone else, if they break your confidence, then don't tell them the second time. You can forgive them without giving them the same level of access that they had before. And this is really important whenever it comes to abuse. I mean, that, that's one, people who are abusive will often manipulate their victims and say, you know, I'm so sorry, will you just forgive me? You really ought to forgive me. And forgiving someone is not the same as reconciliation. And in fact, if you're in that position, there needs to be separation for your safety. God does not want you to be hurt by someone. And, and so you can forgive. And in those situations, it takes a long time. And it's not something that you have to rush. But it's important for us to recognize that we do still have boundaries, and yet we can forgive. Because I recognize that you are not the person, you're not the same as the thing that you've done, but we also have to figure out how to live together. And God wants all of us to be able to thrive in that. And so we continue to have boundaries, and in some cases we can reconcile, and in some cases it's not advisable. And we just have to use discernment and trust wise people as we're navigating our way through that. But it does make it possible, because without forgiveness, you can't have reconciliation. You can pretend, but you won't be actually reconciled. And so this is how Rowan Williams puts it. He's the former Archbishop of Canterbury. He says, when I'm forgiven by the one I have injured, I accept both that I have damaged the relationship and that change is possible. We acknowledge the pain, but we also recognize that change is possible. And, and whenever we forgive someone, that it's not, or whenever we accept forgiveness, whenever we recognize that, that we've done something wrong, it's not easy. It requires risk. It requires vulnerability, really for both parties. But it sets both the forgiver and the forgiven free. It means we can let go of this, this thing I've been carrying around. I don't have to hold on to it any longer. I can let it go. This weight that I've been carrying, I can finally set down because I've been forgiven, because I've forgiven you. And so uh, Rowan Williams again puts it this way. He says, The person who asks forgiveness has renounced the privilege of being right or safe. She has acknowledged that she is hungry for healing, for the bread of acceptance and restoration to relationship. But equally, the person who forgives has renounced the safety of being locked into the position of the offended victim. Right? That's, that's nice sometimes, right? Whenever you wronged me and I've got this thing now that I can hold over your head, it's like, well, I, I guess we can go to eat where you want to, but you know, remember that time whenever you were late? I just don't know if I can do it. It's nice to have something that, that we can hold over other people's head. But if we forgive them, we're letting go of that. We're relinquishing the power that we have over them. She has decided to take the risk of creating afresh a relationship known to be capable of involving hurt. And that's the risk that we take anytime we enter into a relationship. We're all capable of causing each other harm. But we recognize that. And whenever we walk into a relationship, we accept the risk. Because it's worth it. That's what God does for us. And whenever we are willing to forgive, we embody for others God's forgiveness of them. They can actually experience God's forgiveness 
through us, and, and particularly for people who have not had that experience of being forgiven if, for having their wrongs held against them, if we can be people of grace to them, they might actually believe that there's a God who is capable of forgiving them. Some people don't have that experience. Some people don't believe that it's possible. And whenever we do that, we can change their worlds. And so here's, I guess I'll have to ask forgiveness because I'm quoting Rowan Williams again, but this, he says it really well. A willingness to forgive is clearly the mark of a humanity touched by God, free from anxiety about identity and safety, free to reach out into what is other as God does. In Jesus Christ, we're actually embodying what Christ does for us whenever we forgive. One of the beautiful things that we get to experience every week is we get to practice that whenever we come to communion. We get to experience Christ's forgiveness of us because we remember his body broken for us. And we say every week as we remember, as we hold up the cup and remember his blood poured out for us, he says, this is the cup of sal- This is, this, I, I can't do it if I don't start from the beginning. <laughs> My body broken for you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for what? For the forgiveness of sins. And not just for one or for the people we like, for many, for all people. And we get to experience that every time. We get to remember that you are forgiven. And this is the way that God calls you to live as people who forgive. And so here are your action steps this week. They're probably pretty predictable. But here's what I want you to do. As you try to live out the forgiveness of sins, ask God's forgiveness for something you've been carrying. A lot of times we carry things and, you know, just you can kind of, whenever those memories come up and you just kind of shrivel in, you just feel that shame, you feel the guilt, release it. And sometimes it's helpful for me, you know, whenever I'm praying and I'm, I'm confessing something to God and asking for forgiveness. I mean, it's just like literally to, to open my hands, to release whatever it is, to physically do that as a reminder that God has said, that Christ has said to us, ask and your sins will be forgiven. And so do that, pray, whatever it is you've been carrying, feel that release that God gives you through forgiveness. And then release someone you haven't yet forgiven. And if it helps, I mean, you can think of the sweater, like, okay, I'm seeing these two things, this, this fuzz is stuck to you and it's part of who you are, and I'm going to separate those things and I'm going to let go of this. And uh, it may be hard. You know, one of the things that, um, that Miroslav Wolf talked about after his brother's death, uh, for his mom, forgiveness wasn't just like something that happened like that. She didn't just decide, okay, I forgive them, and that was it. She said she, she forgave, and then whenever things would be hard, she would take it back, right? I mean, because the struggles would come. Forgiveness is a process. It's not just something where we snap our fingers and it happens, but we practice it, and we practice it, and we practice it, and we learn to release it. And so whatever you're carrying, whenever you, and those people, whenever you see them, if, you're, if your shoulders tense up and your, fist, your, your hands go into fists, like that's, okay, I'm carrying something that I've not forgiven this person for yet. And so release them. And if it's possible and if it's wise and if it's safe, seek reconciliation. And our lives can be changed whenever we do that. After, after the death occurred um, of, of Wolf's brother, the, the soldier was transferred and uh, as his father and mother worked through it, they eventually came to the place where they had forgiven him. And, and so, um, and the, the soldier was just devastated, as you can imagine. I mean, he loved the kid, and, uh, and that was just hanging over him. And so Wolf's father went and traveled. And, uh, you know, you can imagine in the country they lived in, that wasn't easy. But he took a day and traveled to find him and told him that his wife and he had forgiven the soldier who had done that. And for both of them, it opened up the possibility of a new life, that they can have a future going forward. That's what forgiveness does for us. And that's who our God is. Will you pray with me?
God, you know that we fall far short of your love, of how you call us to love our neighbors, and you love us anyway. And God, I pray that you would help us not to carry those things any longer, but to release them to you. And for the things that we're holding on to that others have done for us, against us, God, help us to let go. Help us just to open our hands, let them move forward. And we ask you to guide us in what comes next. Maybe that means reconciling, and maybe it doesn't. But God, help us to know how you would have us to forgive and to move forward. We thank you that you forgive us no matter what. We thank you for your son who modeled it in every aspect of his life and even taught us how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.